Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Nighttime's Missing in Canada. In this episode, we're going to remain in Hamilton, Ontario, for continued coverage related to the disappearance of 23-year-old mother of two, Emily Bailey. In our prior episode, we met with Lori Bevan, who gave us a first-hand account of life as a mother desperate for answers. During our talk, Lori described Emily's close relationship and special bond with her older brother, Ben. Well, we're about to meet him. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, I'll be joined by Ben Levi, Emily's brother, to discuss the still unexplained disappearance of his 23-year-old sister. Ben, tell me a a bit about you. Who are you? What's your life like? Um, I don't know where to start. So, uh, I'm 27. I live in Hamilton. I feel like I'm not like super interesting. I work I work in mental health, like youth mental health. Mm. Yeah. And and I guess your life has been a lot different now than it was, you know, four and a half months ago. Um, you, uh, mm. of course, we're, we're talking now uh, because of uh, my coverage of and my interest in your sister's story, Emily Bailey. So uh, I, I before I met you and in we had plans to talk. I saw countless videos of you on TikTok because it's in my like learning about your sister. I found her TikTok channel that has so many videos of you and her doing whatever you would call what people do on TikTok. But uh, <laughs> it, at least to me, it's it's obvious that you're both very close and uh, both have a mm-hmm. what to me looked like a bit like a silly sense of humor together. T- tell me a, a <laughs> bit about your your relationship with Emily. I know you're very close. Yeah, we, yeah, we're definitely really close. I think, like, um, growing up, we've kind of always been close. Growing up, we did live in two separate households, uh, but when we did get together, it was just like we had never been apart. Mm-hmm. We were, we were super close. I think we've always, yeah. Um, I when I talk about her and when she talks about me we'd always say like we were the closest to each other than we were to our other siblings. Like mm-hmm. I like my siblings, my siblings, but I think with Emily, she was definitely my closest sibling. Mm-hmm. We, I'm the third born and she's the fourth born. And so we're a bit closer in age than my other siblings. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like she's always looked up to me and um, yeah. And you're her big brother. You're both like, three or four years older than her, I guess. Yeah. I'm like three years, but her birthday is like late in the year, months early. So it's uh, kind gotcha. of like we're four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and other than like being similar in age, why do you think you two get along so well and, and got, became so close other than the age thing? Like what about your personalities fit together? Yeah, I think, I don't know what it is. I think we've always, I've always been super protective and I think that was a big part of kind of why she latched on to me is because I made her feel safe and feel welcome 
And and I think that's kind of a part of why why we were so close is we had each other when things got rough. It's funny because we didn't we don't have like a lot in common, um, and even growing up. But we we're all but we we're both like super close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now again, there's a bit of an age difference and you lived at different homes. So I guess you like in school and stuff, you wouldn't have been like together in the same school. She would have been enough grades apart, I would think. But how did you, uh, how did you spend time together? Like, what did you like growing up and into like leading up to her disappearance? When you spent a day with Emily, typically how, what would you just do? Um, a lot of the time we, she loved going to the mall, and so we went to the mall quite a bit. Um, one time, she came over to my apartment, and we just hung out and cooked food. Other time, another time, we hung out at my apartment and just like colored and watched TV. And um, but uh, yeah, a lot of the time when we were apart, we would just kind of call each other on Facebook and we would just sit on the phone for or on video for hours hmm. and we could just find anything to talk about and we would talk about that and then we would move on and and it was kind of just like it felt like very little time had passed mm-hmm. when it was like three hours mm-hmm. And as far as her personality, how would you how would you describe her? Like I, I talked to your mom a lot about you know about her sense of humor and you know what she was like. And I've I've read a little bit about about Emily, and of course watched the TikTok videos. But it's really hard to gauge someone's mm-hmm. personality from that. How would you describe her? Like for someone who hasn't met her, you know what's Emily like? Yeah, she was very outgoing. Um, I would say she has a very strong personality. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is I think she knew right from wrong and she would be able to stick up for what she believed in. Mm. I think another way to describe her is she, she wasn't like loud, but she kind of had a loud personality and I don't know how else better to explain it is she... It wasn't she was like aggressive or anything, but she very much put herself out there when she felt comfortable. Mm. Um, now, one thing when I like in reading about her, watching the press release, and when I spoke to to your mom, um, there's no secret that she's had some struggles in life, both in terms of like seemingly issues with mental health or depression, but also mm-hmm. with some substance abuse. Uh, I'm sure you've you're probably one of the main people she would turn to as like a shoulder to cry on. Can you can you talk a bit about kind of like the what she was dealing with and like the harder times? Like what what exactly was she going through? Yeah, um, growing up, we definitely had stuff in our childhood that was a bit tough. And I think as we grew up, we both developed different ways of coping with things. Um, and that for her was, um, dealing like struggling with mental illness, um, and eventually addiction. And yeah. And with that though, I want to say is though she battled with addiction, 
there was a period of time where she was able to pull herself out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was around the time that she had both of her children. Um, Because, yeah, I think she realized that she needed to, um, like, be clean for them. Um, And I think it was a very smart smart decision. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, she definitely struggled with these things. And I think a lot of it is just from stuff that happened, circumstances that happened in her childhood. Once you use, like, I don't under, you probably know more about it through your, through your occupation than I ever would, but people will find, you know, if you have some trauma or something from your past that's affecting you, you find some way to deal with it. And, um, and it's not uncommon, I think, for people to turn to it just have depression and, you know, mental health issues as a result of it, but also use substance abuse in some ways to kind of help get get past it. But in, in her case, it quite clearly the substance abuse kind of got out of her control, you know, multiple points. But um, mm. she was at least able to get out of it a little bit, like as you said, when she had her children and what her mom had told me or your mom had told me is that she had spoke recently about trying to get, you know, cleaned up and maybe getting back yeah. in school and, you know, trying to turn her life around. Um, I'll just ask, like leading up to when when she was last seen, like at the, the end of last year, basically, were, were you in, in, in touch often leading up to, you know, the end of December up to New Year's Day of this past year? Yeah. Um, around we, the last time we had talked was around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were honestly, we were just talking about gifts and what to get our siblings. Um, <laughs> so it's so a completely typical that. conversation for, for two siblings yeah. to have and you know, around Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of the last of our conversation. I think the thing with us is that we sometimes, went a while without speaking and it wasn't like we were in a fight or anything it was Mm kind of just we had separate things going on at that point did you know what what her life was like and what kind of lifestyle she was living like say like um november december the end of last year like did you know what kind of condition she was in and what life was like yeah um i think she was from like what I knew leading up to her disappearance, I knew that she was really struggling with addiction leading up to that point. She, I think she was very ashamed of her, of her struggles with addiction Mm. and mental illness. And so she shied away from telling us a lot of that stuff. Um, But I was definitely one person that she, leaned on and reached out to um but around the time that she disappeared she was actually start she had started a job around like late november early december she had mentioned like wanting to get clean and wanting to go to therapy and she was prepared to go back to drug counseling so she did have some kind of ambitions to get out of it. And actually even just getting a job is like making a step towards that. And 
I didn't um I didn't ask your mom about this um yeah but I'm I'm just curious like when people say substance abuse okay, there's lots of things I'm I'm guessing what she had issues with were like opioids hard drugs that sort of thing or or, or do you even know Um I don't know the all of the specifics I know that she struggled okay. with meth um but that's as much as I mm-hmm. am aware. Okay, but it's um, in in as you described, um, maybe she was a little ashamed, and I, I again, I don't think that's uncommon either. Is it when when you kind of fall into that, you may have some friends or some connections of people who are also into it, and you all just isolate yourselves away from everyone else because you're you're doing your thing. And I wonder maybe if you know, leading up to her disappearance, maybe she there was a bit of that going on, um, but. When, when she turned it, like you say, you would be one of the people that she turned to leading up to her disappearance. Did you have the feeling at all that like, you know, something is really out of the ordinary or wrong? Or for the most part, did it just seem like kind of normal Emily, but maybe just having, you know, going through a bit of a hard time or something? Like, were you concerned leading up to this in any way? No, I was, I was not. It was, um... Yeah, I I didn't really have any reason to believe that anything was wrong. Like I said, she she was a bit more uh, secretive, and I think that was a lot of mm-hmm. it was out of shame. But yeah, I don't think for myself up until her disappearance, I was necessarily like more worried mm-hmm. than I normally was. Of course, I. I had always been worried and like I mentioned before, very protective over her, especially learning that she was uh, struggling with addiction again. But yeah, leading up to her disappearance, it was, there was nothing that I was, nothing mm-hmm. else that I was well, worried about. Now let's, let's get into kind of the details around her disappearance. How, how did you first, first learn about this? Like, I, I understand she was reported missing well after the t- point that she was last seen, I think around like nine or 10 days. How did you learn first that she was unaccounted for and, you know, and people were concerned? Like, how do you recall? Yeah. So she was a, reported missing about eight days after she was reported last seen. Um, I was actually at work and I received a message from one of her siblings on her dad's side. We both um, share a mom that have different dads. And um, yeah, so I had received a message from one of her siblings on her dad's side that was asking if I had heard from Emily and that's when I became very worried um, because like I said um, she would kind of distance herself from some friends and family when she was uh, feeling ashamed for what she had been doing and so it wasn't out of the ordinary that she would kind of just like cut off contact from people especially if she just needed to take a break Um, so yeah it wasn't out of the ordinary and that's kind of why I I didn't think anything of it until I received that message and that's when I had texted her 
to check in to see. Um, and when I didn't hear back by the end of my workday, I then reached out to some other people to see. And by that point, the missing person uh, was reported. And so, it, and so it happened that fast. Like if once you heard about it, you're concerned, you write to her. And if and just by not getting a, a response within a couple hours, you're thinking like, you know, something's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, did you know the people that she would have been associated with you know in the days leading up to her disappearance like who she was staying with and hanging out with did you do you know any of these people i did not know them personally um when she the one of the last times that i had talked to her i did ask her where she was staying i know that she was struggling with homelessness Mm -hmm. as well and by that point uh sorry by that point she had been staying with who she said was a friend which i later found out was a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance um but yeah i did not know these people up until the point she disappeared Um, and Hamilton, like, it's not that big of a city, is it? Like, I'm just, I would be surprised that there would be these, like, major differing groups that you, you wouldn't have rubbed elbows with in some way by being, you know, around the same age of these people, I would assume. Like, are, are these, these are people associated with Hamilton, like, locals, for the most part, that you would have been with? Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. too sure um, about who these people associate mm-hmm. themselves with. I have met very few of her friends that she had associated herself with. So, yeah, I haven't seen or met uh, the people that she was associated in her last days. Yeah, well, now let's talk about the last days or her last known days, because that's something where even in reading articles, watching the, you know, the Hamilton police press conference, I'm still unclear about where exactly she was last seen and what these last sightings were. So maybe if if you could tell me what you know about like her last known whereabouts and in moments. Yeah, so we haven't been given a whole lot of information because a lot of stories have differed from different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have been told, is that she was last seen around New Year's Day. I've been told that it was January 2nd. I also was told that she was leaving a New Year's party. Um, She was last seen on Weir Street by Barton, um, Mm -hmm. which is the east end of Hamilton. And do you know anything about this, like this last scene moment? Like, do you know what, like in what context she was seen or was it just somebody maybe driving by? Is that, I think I saw Emily down there. Like, do you know anything about this last known kind of sighting? I know that she was last seen with friends from what I was told in the beginning of this whole thing is that she had went to get her hair dyed. Um, at a friend's house and then I was told that it was a New Year's party so I'm not too sure the whole timelines like I mentioned mm-hmm. we've my family has gotten a lot of different stories um, that must 
like drive you all nuts so like usually when like when there's a press conference for a missing person or an unsolved crime or whatever and i've watched lots of them generally there are some like conclusive facts but i really feel like in in emily's story for whatever reason um it seems really hard to narrow down and like you said and your, your mom said something similar as well as there seems to be different people kind of giving conflicting stories and perhaps is why there's no kind of certainty in the last known her last known movements but it it certainly makes it difficult to try to follow a trail when the trail is as you know as, as vague as is what there seems to be um you know I, I don't know how involved in this you are but law enforcement who's investigating this um certainly they must know more than the public but i'm surprised that more of that hasn't made its way to your family like is there kind of concern within your family about how much is known or being revealed by law enforcement or, or are you comfortable to let them do their thing yeah i would say that i'm very comfortable letting them do their thing and i also recognize that there there is only so much to go off of especially with conflicting mm-hmm. stories of course mm-hmm. for my family and the public eye it doesn't feel like they're doing a lot and i know that they're doing a lot of things uh behind the scenes and a lot of things that we can't know but yeah of course mm-hmm. it, it does feel awful knowing that someone knows something and that my family doesn't have those answers not long after she was reported missing and the investigation started it was passed off to the homicide squad and i don't know if they've specifically said we're investigating this as a homicide or if it's just that team is taking it on for whatever reason but certainly that's a bad sign like when when you heard of that kind of change in who was investigating this that must have hit you pretty hard can you can you talk about how that felt when you when when that change was announced yeah it definitely hit hard because it it made the whole situation feel more real of course when she when her case was first investigated as a missing persons it definitely felt as if she was just gonna like come back and be like hey i'm actually okay and as time went on it didn't no longer felt like that my my birthday had passed and i know emily wouldn't have just missed that and as different event family birthdays and different holidays came it just felt more real and it wasn't yeah it wasn't until the investigation got turned over to homicide it made everything feel so much more real um it definitely hurt when and it's left a huge hole in my heart when it did get turned over to homicide because i think there's a piece of me that does hold on to hope still that she will come back but there's another part of me that knows that because it's being investigated by homicide there is 
a high chance that the outcome isn't going to be the ones or the one that we want. Mm -hmm. And and then also when you consider the fact that there seems to be a lot more that they know internally, they being the police Mm -hmm. than is being shared. It kind of makes me question what, what they know that would lead to, to that. But then again, if someone has gone for a few months without any activity on social media or their bank accounts and stuff, that could maybe push their hand as well. But just in, in talking to you tonight, I have noticed like you, you often are using the past tense. Like how much hope are you maintaining that she's like alive and some, and it's going to end, you know, in a good way for, for her and for your family. Like, do you, have you been able to keep much hope given everything else that's happened over the last four and a half months? Yeah, I think subconsciously my brain has just gone into past tense, um, which I know has definitely bothered me because I want to hold on to hope. I want to hold on to to there's going to be a good outcome, but there's definitely a part of me that fears that there will be a bad outcome. And I think that part of me definitely outweighs the more positive side, mm-hmm. which sucks. Mm-hmm. And it it definitely takes a toll on me every day, just, just thinking that this will most likely end the way that I don't want it to. Um, getting into kind of the search and the investigation, is one thing that I've noticed in in kind of following along with like the the Facebook group that a lot of Emily's friends and your family are 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 in and providing updates on on her her case. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is um, very clearly it's um, supportive of the police meaning like you know if we if anyone has any information don't write it here go to the police and like avoid speculation and use the correct missing persons posters and such um and and i can understand the importance of that and your your commitment to to those sorts of things but um like living in hamilton and being like connected in some way at least geographically to people that were close to her is is it hard to not for like for you to not kind of like get heavily involved and like trying to um you know figure out what happened or or are you like have enough confidence in the police that you're able to kind of just hold it all in and step back from that because and the reason i ask that is i understand that there hasn't been at least at this point like a large-scale kind of like civilian-led search yeah we definitely haven't done a civilian-led search and i think a big part of it is we just don't know where to start Mm -hmm. because yeah i think that's i think that's what my family is really struggling with is we just don't really know where to search and i think a part of it is we we do want to um we do want to work with the police and figure out what they are doing and then what we can do because the last thing I want to do is like screw up the investigation. That's Mm -hmm. not something I want to do. And I know that the police have their own leads and their own ability to do more than what my family and other civilians can do. But that said, Mm 
yeah, I would like I would like to do more for sure. I think we're just struggling to figure out where to start. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Um, you know, maybe if you could talk a little bit about this kind of the social media aspect of it, because I understand you were the one who created the Facebook group that um, is now well over a thousand strong of people who are either friends or family, but also just random people who are very supportive of uh, of the search for Emily. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the support you found online and, you know, what that means to you and your family to have these people being willing to, you know, put up posters in their cities and whatnot? Yeah, my family and I definitely appreciate all the support that we have gotten from folks online in the Facebook group. And I really appreciate that people are sharing her story, sharing her case. And there are a lot of people in the Facebook group who are reaching out privately to my family and I, giving tips that they, things that they might have found out or might know. Um, And there are also people who are actively sharing things on the Facebook page. And I think that's super important. And my family very much appreciates that because her story is being shared widely. Okay. And now is there, before we wrap it up, is there anything else that you'd like to get out there either about Emily as a person or her disappearance or the search for her or anything that you think, you know, the average person should know about, about her story? Yeah, I think something that I really wanted to spotlight when you, um, when you reached out to me was, or sorry, something I was worried about when it came to telling her story is I don't, I don't want people. And I, I've always feared this since her uh, disappearance. I don't want people to hear her story of her struggling with addiction and just chalking it up to, oh, well, she's struggling with addiction Um, because she is a person. She is someone who has existed on this earth and even despite her struggles with things, I think she was still a good person. She was still a good mom. She did. She wanted a better life for herself. I think she, yeah, she struggled a lot, but in leading up to her disappearance, as I had mentioned, she was going to drug counseling and she was she had just started a job and she had plans to go back to school and get into social work um and so she had dreams she had wants she had wishes and yeah i've i've seen some some people comment on social media posts about her case um making assumptions about her life and i think they're very uneducated assumptions because emily wasn't just a drug addict or someone that struggled with drugs she was so much more than what is surface level 
I want to thank you for joining Ben and I for a discussion surrounding the disappearance of his sister, Emily Bailey. I'll let you know that my coverage of Emily's case likely will continue as I've heard from many close to Emily's story. But until we get to that, for anyone who would like to follow this story and learn more about Emily, Ben and Lori invite us all to join the Missing Emily Bailey Facebook group. I've added a link to this episode description that'll get you there. And with that, I'll begin to wrap up this episode of Nighttime, but before we part, I want to give some thanks. First, a big thank you to Ben for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd also like to thank Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode and LJ from Dystopian Simulation Radio for providing the intro and outro voiceovers. But most importantly, I want to give a massive thank you to every one of you who are listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle for me. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you listen on the premium feed. Not only does the premium feed make the show possible, it'll give you a little bit more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content regularly. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, support the show and give yourself more of it at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers. Ray, Judy, and Jason, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a huge hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone out there has any story ideas or wants to give feedback on the show or contribute a voice memo to be aired in a future episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.